mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode contains explicit content about sex and language that goes along with that, which is nothing new for the Puberty Podcast, except in this episode, there's even more of it. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole bennett Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. The goal down the road is for your kid to grow up and have amazing relationships, which includes having great sex. But during the teen years, most people assume or wish that their kid is not having sex. Our advice is to get your head out of the sand. This episode is all about what your kids need to know and how you can talk to them about having sex, hopefully before they've had sex. I think we should start, Kara, with recapping on what is sex? How do we define sex? How do we talk about sex in our homes with our kids? Because traditionally, when people say sex, It's like, oh, vaginal intercourse. But the truth is there are a lot of different ways to have sex and we need to make it inclusive in our families. So you have a great way of describing to kids the four ways to have sex. And for folks who've listened to the first two 
episodes in this series, how to talk to school-age kids about sex and how to talk to tweens about sex. This will be familiar, but the repetition is purposeful. And in that, we mean that if you hear us say it several times, it might feel more comfortable for you to say it or use this language in your own house. So Cara, if you would do an encore performance of the four ways that people can have sex. Yeah. So this is how I do it when I teach in classrooms. And frankly, this is how I've had the conversations in my own home. What I do is I start with a very brief definition of the different kinds of sex, followed by the statement, now you can ask me anything. So the four kinds of sex, there's vaginal intercourse. And what that generally means is a penis going into a vagina. There's anal intercourse. And what that means is either a penis or something else like fingers going into an anus. There's oral intercourse. And what that means is a penis or a vagina going into a mouth. And then there's the fourth kind of sex that I call sex with yourself or self-pleasure or masturbation. Now, when I follow those four definitions by Ask Me Anything, that's an easier sentence, I think, for me to utter because I'm trained in this world and these terms and all the questions around them are very comfortable for me. I still encourage other parents to do the same thing with the caveat that if you don't know the answer, you have a plan for how you can get that answer, that you and your kid or you and the kid you are helping who may not be your kid, and we'll talk about that in this episode, that you have some online resources or some real life resources that you can turn to when you need answers. What we don't encourage you to do is to send your kid to go search things on their own because they will inevitably just end up looking at free porn. And if you are in a position where your kid asks you a question that you don't know how to answer, it is totally fine to say, you know what? I actually don't know the answer to that. We can A, look it up together. B, check out some books that might have the answer. C, can say, hey, I'm going to talk to some folks and some experts and I'll get back to you. But it's okay to admit you don't know the answer. It's also okay to admit that it's very hard for you to talk about this stuff. I mean, we did not grow up in a generation where talking about anal sex was like a standard you know, operating procedure. Wait, and can we just talk about the fact that both of us are taught new words regularly by our kids? Like, we think we're so schooled in this arena, and we think we have all the tools we need to have these conversations. And my kids will regularly correct my language or, you know, bring me into the 21st century in terms of how to have these conversations. And it's openness to that that makes the conversations better. If my language and my way of seeing things is the only way to talk about it, it's not going to work in my house. And if that's true for me, I'm pretty sure that's true for everyone. And if you notice, Kara is laughing. And if you could see her, she's smiling. This can be funny. It can be silly. It can be uncomfortable and awkward and ridiculous. That's totally it fine. It can be funny for one party and not so funny <laughs> for another, which happens all the time. And also, we can tell our kids that sex can be funny and sex can be awkward and sex can be silly. And you can laugh and you can, 
you know, have all sorts of things that make you crack up. And that's also okay. And so when you have these conversations with your kids, don't forget to laugh, to tell them it's okay to talk about this stuff. And it's also okay to talk about stuff with their partners while they're doing whatever they're doing. I'm just going to share a funny side story so that it gives whoever is listening to this a moment to consider when they might want to dive into some of these conversations. There really is no wrong time or place, but we all know that making the conversation entirely about one thing and staring at each other deep into each other's eyes and trying to have a moment is really not the most successful way to do it most of the time. So I really try to pair it with something else that's going on. And usually I try to pair it with something kind of mindless, like if we're taking a walk, I'll bring something up or what have you. But the other day, I was doing the only thing my kids roll their eyes at more than conversations around sex with me. I was forcing them to clean their closets. Oh my God, you didn't. We did the double whammy of, I was air quotes, helping them clean their closet while bringing up little conversations about sex. And it was hilarious because we could eventually laugh that I just, instead of balancing something I mean, fun with something slightly less fun, brutal. I just took the two bottom things on the list and went for it. But you know, I mean, it's like getting your teeth clean and having a colonoscopy at the same time. Well, like, did I, you not want to call me and like check in with me? <laughs> what inspired that? Sometimes, Vanessa, <laughs> when you're already in a hole, you just dig the hole. You just dig deeper. deep. So you know how Car and I like to talk about how we screw up all the time. There you go. That's a Bingo. perfect example of a terrible time to talk terrible. to your kids about sex. But you know what did work? What did happen as a result? We really cleaned those closets. <laughs> and that was amazing. Because <laughs> so. they wanted to get the hell out of there. That's it. Okay. Quick, super quick recap on the first two episodes that will give you the structure for this episode, we talk about two things over and over and over again when we cover what you really want to talk about with your kids when it comes to sex. Regardless of their age, we want to cover vocab and we want to cover consent. Those are really the biggest two bullet points. In terms of vocab, we go through in great detail on the episodes about talking to younger kids what words we think that they should know and by when. For the teenagers, I think it's obvious. And yet, if you haven't heard this before, it may not be obvious to you. Your kids really do need to know all of the words that are related to different sexual organs in the body, different sexual acts, anatomical words, but also by this point, they really probably need to be a bit fluent in the slang terminology as well. So they need to be fluent in all of the language around sex and sexuality so that they can understand either what you're asking or what someone else is asking. And I I bring up the slang terminology because in the first couple of episodes in this series, we were very emphatic that it's the anatomical names, the names that doctors learn in medical school. Those are the words we want kids to use. And it is true. But we put our heads in the sand if we don't acknowledge that there's a whole other language that relates to sex and sexuality that teenagers pick up. And 
I think it's very important for families to become fluent in that. And families meaning everyone who lives in the house. And it's language they'll use with each other. So if they're sexually intimate with another person, often that person is not going to say, hey, do you mind if I rub your clitoris now? But they might say something else. And my kids, um, the Urban Dictionary is a very important part of their life, their vocabulary. And um, if you're not familiar with it, it's just language that kids use with each other. I often get texts from my kids and I'm like, I don't know what you're telling me. Can you please translate? translate?" So both kinds of language and they need to know all their body parts for a bunch of different reasons. We've talked about health and safety. We've talked about, and we'll get into pleasure into more depth on this episode. But if your kid is sexually active, that can affect the health and safety of all of those different body parts. And if they don't know the names of them, if they don't know the difference between their vulva or their labia and the opening to the vagina, if they have stuff going on with their bodies because of sexual activity, that's a big difference when you go and talk to a doctor. So We want to make sure that they are aware of it. We want to make sure that there's an open conversation about it at the very least so that if something is wrong with our kids and they are sick or they have an infection, they can come talk to us and we can help them get healthcare. That is my baseline, baseline, low, 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 low ask for folks. Yeah. If you can name it, you often won't fear it. And mm-hmm. so there's a that's a a really, really big piece to all of this. If you can name it, you won't blame it. Is that lame? Yeah, my kids would say that was lame. Yes, yeah, so would mine. Okay. <laughs> now, one last note about language before we move on. And that is the language that we all grew up with around sex and sexuality mm-hmm. has really changed. One of the ways that you can laugh with your kids is to find your way into a conversation where you share some of the terminology that you grew up with and they then let you in on some of the terminology. So the classic example is the bases. Do they still use the bases? No. Okay. The bases do not exist anymore. The bases are a great sort of nostalgic throwback conversation where you could say to your kids, okay, when I was growing up, you know, kissing was called getting to first base and they will laugh or roll their eyes. And then they're like, kissing's not even in the ballpark anymore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then you then you open the doors. Like you've said, here's what we used to call it. And it's your way of saying, what is it now? Yeah. And how do you and there are lots of ways into that conversation. But in general, we always say to parents and adults, don't make these conversations about you. That said, this one, it can be a way into the conversation to look back through the lens of ancient history and make it a little bit about what you used to call it. Yeah. And if you, you know, if you're starting to wonder, okay, I think my kid may be sexually active or intimate with someone and you're trying to figure out how the hell to talk to them about it, One way to do it is, hey, it's so funny. I was, you know, talking to a friend of mine from high school and we were laughing about like how we used to talk about sex according to like first, second, third and home base. And like, I don't know if you ever heard of that or is that something that you guys talk about or first base was kissing. Is that even something that people talk about anymore? Right. Like a way to kind of casually 
bring it up if you're trying to gauge, because what you don't want to do is look at your child across the dinner table and say, hey, dude, are you having sex? (laughs) Have you gotten a blowjob yet? Because I can promise you that will be the least successful way of having that conversation. That is very unsuccessful. That is very unsuccessful. (laughs) Almost as lame as if you can name it, you don't blame it. (laughs) That is correct. (laughs) Almost as lame. Hey, it's Cara. We all know puberty isn't always easy. One of the trickiest pieces of the puberty puzzle is boobs. When will I get them? Why are they so tender? And why does every bra out there seem to pull, push, pad, itch, scratch, or be so flimsy it doesn't do a thing? That's where Umla comes in. It's a company that makes puberty comfortable, a company I founded with my friend Julie. When our own daughters began the puberty journey, we couldn't find a decent starter bra anywhere. So we made one. It fits perfectly whether boobs are just starting to bud or they've been growing for a few years. We call it the Umbra. And it's game changing. The Umbra is made from buttery cotton that feels like second skin, ridiculously soft and so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing anything at all. Umbra's one-of-a-kind support comes from its patented layered design that creates gentle compression without any tight binding, which also means it doesn't need any bulky, awkward pads because it's built to seamlessly hide nipples and protect against those dreaded ouch moments throughout the day. Our daughters and their friends are done with puberty, but they still love and wear their Umbra's. It's why we say that the Umbra may be your first bra, but it will definitely be your favorite bra. Come say hi, look around, and find your Umbra, plus lots of other puberty info at myoomla.com. That's M-Y-O-O-M-L-A dot com. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is Factors ready-to-eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our Factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never-frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. 
Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. Hi, I'm Sif Hyder, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. Remember to subscribe. We drop new episodes every Tuesday. So see you then. So now let's broaden the conversation beyond language. And we're going to include consent, but I think we'll end on consent. Yeah, I think so. Um, So let's start with a subtopic that most people forget is actually a humongous headline in conversations about sex and intimacy, and that is 
respect. So, Vanessa, mm. in your life, when you teach or at home, how do you weave in conversations about mutual respect when really sometimes what you want to know is what your kids are doing or how they're feeling, but you know this one is important. So how do you get it in there and how do you get it in there without judgment? Right. And without lecturing and without being like a boring, annoying adult, which is sometimes harder done. Or what is it? Harder said e- than done? Easier said than Easier done. Easier said than done. Um, <laughs> So to me, in terms of sexual intimacy, respect, pleasure, and consent are all tied up with each other. So for this part of the conversation, I think I'm actually going to focus on how respect and pleasure inform each other and how we can talk to our kids about it. So our goal is that our kids have meaningful, pleasurable sexual experiences in their lives consensual, comfortable, right? All of those things. We want them to have positive sexual experiences. And one day, I mean, for some parents, it's tomorrow. tomorrow. And for some parents, it's in 10 years. Yeah, Right. And when we use the word teens, that's a big range, right? Teens are anywhere from 13 to 19. And I happen to have both a 13 and a 19-year-old living in my house, one of whom I feel comfortable about the idea of that child having sex the 13-year-old, I'm not comfortable with the idea of that child having sex. So teens are a massive range and they cover middle school, high school, and college for some kids. So this is a wide range. So for kids who are not yet at the place where we think they should be having sex or are having sex, we can still have conversations. And those sound something like this. There are parts of your body that feel good and It's great if you can figure out what those parts of your body are before you have a partner. And if you have a partner, it's both your right and your responsibility to ask your partner what feels good for them and to ask of your partner to do the things that feel good for you. And if something doesn't feel good, you should tell your partner. If your partner tells you something doesn't feel good, then you should respect that. So it's to me, respect is tied up in an ongoing dialogue and conversation around sex. Now, kids think that sex should be silent, that hooking up should be silent, that it should be this sort of like intuitive experience where you read each other's minds. And there's music. And there's music (laughs) and good lighting. (laughs) But the truth is that having good sex of all different kinds requires conversation, dialogue, experimentation, give and take. And we need to help our kids understand that that is totally normal. So the other conversation that I've had with my own kids and with other kids in appropriate settings is it's okay to talk when you are being intimate with someone and it's great to ask, does this feel good? Do you like that? Oh, seems like maybe you don't like that. Okay. Do you want to try something else? And our interns gave us some really good language about how to kind of ask or respond when that give and take is going on. Cara, how do you like to frame the issue of respect? I love what you've said about how people can respect their partner and ask for respect from their partner funny, I immediately go to the opposite side of the coin, which is 
how to show respect for your peers and even the people you don't really know, who may be your classmates or your teammates, people who you know are sexually active or you know are not, and how to not share that in the world. Mm -hmm. In other words, you know, mutual respect for other people's choices beyond what you're choosing for yourself is as important as respect for your partner in a bedroom or on a couch or in a car or wherever you are. And learning how to not judge other people for their choices, I think is tremendous in this whole path. One of the crazy things about talking to teenagers in particular about sex is some number of them actually feel ready, but they don't have the partner to do it with yet. So some number of them are sort of there emotionally or mentally before, they're just sort of primed before they've paired up. And for those people, it can be a little harder to not feel a pang of jealousy when other people have those experiences or feel some worry that they're never going to have the experience they want, or they may have had the experience and then had a breakup. And now they feel like they're not going to get that experience back with someone else. So when I think about respect, I think about the 30,000 foot view of respect and teaching our kids that there's a really wide range of normal here. And what might be right for one person may not be right for you and vice versa. And that there's just no room for judgment. You can have feelings about it. We can talk about mm -hmm. it. But to judge people about how they choose to share their bodies is probably, in fact, it's not probably, it's not okay. Yeah. And with social media, there's a lot of rumor mongering that goes on above and beyond, you know, naked pictures or sexting or that gets blown up. There's also just like, oh, I heard so-and-so did this with so-and-so. And my kids have said that to me in the past. And I, I've said to them, you know, if they did, that's their choice. But what's your source? Is it accurate? Are you sharing that information? Because it's really not your right or it's not appropriate for you to share information about someone else's choices about what they do. One thing that I think has really changed over the course of the last generation or two is how content portrays teen romances and teen sex. So many of the movies and shows that have been created in the past several years move way beyond the gossip around mm -hmm. sex, and they go much more into the intimacy of the relationship. So I'm thinking about shows like Sex Education. Mm -hmm. Sex Education is a really great example of a show that focuses not on what other people say about what people are doing, but it focuses on what's actually happening between the characters, which I think is a good lens to look through. And I really like that show for a lot of reasons. And that's one of the reasons is that storytelling happens through those intimate relationships. It's not a story that revolves around rumor mills, gossip shaming, even though those things come up in the storylines. I also like that more and more relationships are being portrayed not necessarily as the male being the aggressor and the female being the passive recipient of sexual activity. Um, so that's important. Everybody can be the proactive one or the more passive one. Also, that they're portraying in Big Mouth and Sex Ed and some of the other 
you know, sort of YA content out there that boys have feelings, that they have heartbreak, that they have sadness, that they have challenges with puberty and with sex, right? There's a narrative in our culture that it's like, oh, it's all about girls having trouble or straight people having trouble, but it it allows for a wider and more inclusive lens. And these shows also are speaking to the diversity that we are now celebrating in our culture. So there are storylines about all different sorts of pairings between people. And the whole gender spectrum is represented in so many of these shows. And this is a great shift. It's a little hard sometimes for parents to understand the shift. It's not that the behavior is new. It's that the normalization of the behavior Mm -hmm. is new. Mm -hmm. That you're seeing these stories come into the zeitgeist. And it's like, oh, yeah, so so two girls were dating in high school. Great. And it's Tuesday. It's like no big deal for these kids. And it can be a big deal for the parents. And this is another great way to get into conversations with your teenagers in particular about sex and sexuality is to ask them to teach you. Learn from them. If you are not particularly comfortable with the language around the gender spectrum or language around different sexual identities, your kids can educate you. And it's really important for you to start to become fluent in that. Yeah. I mean, they're so much more comfortable talking about this stuff than we are. And I would add that if you're wondering how to get into a conversation with your kid about sex, or you're wondering what's going on in their school or in their relationships, use a show like Sex Ed and say, hey, I was watching this show and I was wondering, I noticed this thing between two characters. Is that something that you've seen? Or I was wondering, have you watched it? Like, what do you think about this relationship or what happens in the storyline? It's a great way into a conversation. What what if my kids said about the show Sex Education, I was asking exactly that. And the answer was, you know, I really love the show, but it was clearly written by an adult. Mm. And I said, why? And the answer was, because the language is actually not the language that we use. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, give me the language that you use. I'm very interested in understanding how you communicate. Now, there's one other piece that we need to cover in terms of what parents and adults need to talk about when they talk to teens about sex. And that is the bucket of safety and pregnancy. And I put those two things together because some of the strategies that prevent pregnancy also prevent sexually transmitted infections. Some do not. So this is a very big, full bucket of items. And before we recorded this morning, I took a walk with a friend of mine who lives in the neighborhood. And halfway through the walk, he said, just like you always say, I just had one of a thousand conversations with my kids. So this bucket is a thousand conversations right. because it covers what are sexually transmitted infections? How does one get them? What's the transmission of different infections? What are the different routes of transmission? What are the different consequences of those infections? And then pregnancy and pregnancy prevention strategies. And then Of course, there are all sorts of other safety issues, like there are certain types of sex that run the risk of lacerations, tears in the skin, or there are conversations that we have to have around 
feelings of personal safety. There are things that people will engage in that might feel good, but also be dangerous. So this bucket is enormous. And rather than go through all of it here, what I encourage is for the adults to start to think about what things on this list of safety and pregnancy prevention do I want to make sure that my kids understand and have a long time frame to I go think, through that. I think we'll do an entire episode on this we topic because it's so big and there's a lot of ground to cover. And there's actually a lot of medical information, Cara, that I think people could benefit from your guidance. Um, it's huge. So the point is that these are the kinds of conversations that you may not actually be in dialogue with your kid. It may sound more like a monologue. And there are certain Topics we have to cover with our children where it is simply our responsibility to give them information that they must have to keep them safe. It doesn't mean you're going to be cuddled up on the couch and have an hour-long discussion and you're going to get up and they're going to look at you and say, Mom, I love you so much. And you're going to look at them and say, Kiddo, I love you so much and I'm so proud of you. And then you go drift off to a wonderful sleep. This may be a conversation where you sit down with your kid and you say, you're in high school now and it's really important to me that you do not get sexually transmitted infections. And so here are the ways that you can keep your body safe. And also if you notice something on your body, like a sore on your lip or on your genitals, I want you to come talk to me because that may be a sign, right? And I'll never be mad. I'll never be mad. I'll never be mad. There may be many people listening who think I am completely ill-equipped to have this conversation because I don't know. I don't know what sexually transmitted diseases are prevalent now, or I don't know exactly how to prevent them, or maybe there are new ways. So we will link in the show notes to resources that you and the kids that are in your life can go to. There are really, really wonderful assets online covering everything from various infections to different types of birth control to even, you know, organizations that are dedicated to the emotional and physical safety of young people in sexual encounters. I will say one important note, do not assume that your child knows how to put on a condom. Don't assume they have taught it in school in time for your child to learn. If we've been on Zoom for two years, they most definitely have not been taught. Different families do it differently. I know people who watched a YouTube video with their kid in our house. You may have listened to the episode with my husband where he talks about teaching our kid. It's very entertaining. But don't assume that your kid is getting all this information in school. And there are ways to balance, hey, sex can be great and wonderful and exciting and pleasurable, but there are aspects of it that require you to keep yourself safe and to prevent pregnancy if that's what you want to do. And it's okay to balance both those things. We don't want to freak them out and just utterly scare them. But we also, again, don't want to put our heads in the sand that, that someone else is teaching them because I would imagine no one else is teaching them. That's right. So we're going to wrap with, as promised, a quick review of the topic of consent. And when it comes to teenagers, there's nothing quick about conversations around consent. We have 
episodes that touch on consent. Certainly our episode with Jonathan Crystal, who wrote the book, What They Don't Teach Teens, is a great deep dive into consent. We also have a lot of conversation about consent in the earlier episodes in this series. For teen consent, we will get deeper into that in a standalone episode. But as we leave this episode, this is probably, I think, the the right note to leave on, which is how we teach our kids to ask someone permission to be touched or to be asked. And so, Vanessa, do you want to wrap us quickly with one example of how a kid might ask another person if it's okay to touch them? Yeah, the most important thing is to ungender consent because we live in a culture that assumes the male is the aggressor and the female is the passive recipient. As Lisa Demore likes to say, like we need to eliminate the offense-defense paradigm around sex. And we need to do that for two reasons. One, because not all kids are having heterosexual sex. Lots of kids are having homosexual sex of different kinds. And secondly, we need to do that because it's not always the male who's a you know, uh, initiating things. And it's not always the female who's deciding yes or no. So there's a video called Tea and Consent. And like drinking T-E-A. Yeah, T-E-A, like drinking tea. There's There's a British version. There's an American accent version. It's so fantastic. We will link to that also in the show notes. It is the perfect encapsulation of the different ways in which consent can be complicated and the ways in which to respect consent. So if I am a teenager and I'm hooking up, and even the word hooking up is has different meanings. I think of hooking up as not sex, as everything but sex. Somehow both my kids and my mother think that hooking up is sex. So there you go. It skips a generation like twins. But if I have a teenager that I want to talk to about having consensual sex, I might say to that kid something like, hey, sometimes you're with someone and you want to hook up. I might then check on their definition of hooking up versus my definition of hooking up. You always want to define terms with kids and not assume. But let's say we're fooling around and I want to do something. I could say to them, are you interested in this? Does this feel good to you? Is this something you're comfortable doing? Right. Those are a little bit of adult language. So kids might say something more like, are you down with that? Is this chill? Is this not chill, right? Like they're going to use, to Cara's point, they're going to use some slightly different language. So you can even say to your kid, I might say, does this feel good? And your kid might say to you, I I would never say that. And you can say, okay, well, what would you say? Or, you know, how would you frame it? Because again, they are the experts in their world and their language. They just need to know what kinds of conversations they need to be having. And, you know, the power of that role play is so, so strong because even though it's awkward and even though it's uncomfortable, you've given their brain practice at doing or saying something. And if you go through that exercise a few times with your kid over a few months or years, what you'll find is that you have literally treaded a path in their brain to give them a sort of easier way through when they're in the heat of the moment. They've practiced it. Right. And that's an incredible skill. But big caveat, 
and maybe this is where we'll land. If kids are intoxicated in any way, if there's alcohol or any drugs involved, it is impossible to give and it is impossible to receive consent. Legally. Legally. The legal definition is that they can't give or get consent. And even though this whole episode has been about sex and not about drinking and not about drugs, this is where all of those threads start to braid together because that's an important conversation with your kid too, is the acknowledgement that consent assumes sobriety. And that, Vanessa, is going to be a topic for For another different podcast. And so I think for if we're going to do our takeaways, and it's it's a hard takeaway partially because, and I'm actually going to do it personally. So like what I would wish for my for my kids and the kids I teach and care for, it's hard because all kids are different and all kids are seeking different things in sexual intimacy, right? For some people, it's about the emotional closeness that you have. For other people, it's about just sexual satisfaction, right? For other people, it's exciting to experiment and try new things. One of the things I told my kids and I like it as a kind of a guiding principle because I think it also gets at respect. It gets at consent, which is as a sexual partner, it's your job to think about the pleasure of your partner and also to learn how to ask for your own pleasure. And Peggy Ornstein, who I hope we will have on the podcast at some point soon, talks about in our culture that males expect pleasure from their sexual experiences and females hope for a pain-free experience. And I hope that we can rewrite that paradigm so that everyone both looks to offer their partner pleasure and also looks to have pleasure for themselves in their sexual relationships. My takeaway is that's the graduate level course. (laughs) <laughs> Should that we is do the that? Goal. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and it may not happen. I mean, we watched Bridgerton, my daughter and I, and there was a scene where one of the characters was losing her virginity and there was no foreplay and it was immediately, you know, penis and the vagina sex. And somehow she had this incredible orgasm. And I looked at her, I paused the TV. And you broke it down. And I was like, sweetheart. <laughs> um, and I said to her, what does he need to find in order for her to have an orgasm because I don't think he found it. And she's like, her clitoris, mom. And I said, thank you very much. I'm bowing out. My job job is is done. done. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at the puberty podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at the puberty podcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.